0: Only traces of fingerprints have been found of the hand that tugs at the fabric of the cosmos. Join us as we illuminate the search for this elusive character, hiding in plain sight and shaping the world around us. This is Particle Mysteries where the detectives look to the stars, the suspects are tiny, and the crime scene is the entire universe. science communicator at the Canadian Research Facility SnowLab in Sudbury.
1: And I'm Joseph pierre a science writer at the German Research Center DAISY in Hamburg. So, Blair, we have a real mystery on our hands. As we heard in the last episode, the whole idea of dark matter has been puzzling scientists for nearly a century.
0: That's right, and we're still just scratching the surface. Last time, we talked big, like the universe Big. While people like Fritz Wicki, Horace Babcock, and Vera Rubin were seeing unusual effects on galaxies, there was a lot of other stuff going on in the field of physics.
1: Yeah, stuff like the fundamentals of particle physics. I want to go back to something that Flip Tenado, a theoretical physicist at the University of California, Riverside, said in the last episode.
0: So physically we know where dark matter is. There's a whole clump of it in the middle of our galaxy. Every galaxy is living in a bubble of dark matter. But it's a theoretical space. It's um what type of particle is it? What are the characteristics of that particle? Uh, how heavy is it? How does it interact or not interact? All that that's the space of of uh different types of theories that we're exploring.
1: What type of particle is it? That's a question that has to do with one of the core pursuits of physics in the last 100 years, quantum field theory. The whole reason why physics has such a focus on particles in the modern day. Hmm.
0: We should probably describe what quantum field theory is. It essentially takes everything we know about the foundations of the building blocks of matter and describes all of the fundamental properties between them. It's widely based on the discoveries of teams of incredible physicists throughout the 20th and 21st centuries.
1: So, if we make this super short, because you could easily write tons of books explaining this, the idea is that each component that builds the universe is a field, some kind of system that can be activated by the introduction of energy. Think of this like a guitar string. It only possesses the potential to make a sound. Then you add a little bit of energy and you get a note. And a particle of the field is like that note being produced when you strum the guitar string. The description of those fields and the particles that they are associated with is known as the standard model. The fields can also interact with each other. And somehow, they became distinct from one another in the time since the Big Bang, when all of the fields are thought to have been unified in one general field and the universe altogether began.
0: So another way to think of this idea of fields is to imagine an extremely still lake. The surface of the water seems perfectly even. Then the wind blows a little bit. That's energy being added to the lake. You see ripples moving. Those are small changes to the state or excitations of a field. Imagine that wind would really pick up and the water would develop into a wave that maybe crests and makes some spray. Those tiny droplets, they're the particles associated with the field. That's just one way to think about fields.
1: Some fields take a lot of energy to be excited. In fact, that's why we need particle accelerators to study those fields here on Earth. We have to simulate the conditions as close to those following the Big Bang as possible in order to generate some of these particles. And even then, when the energy disperses, much like those waves calming down on the lake, the particles disappear
0: or decay
1: into less energetic particles.
0: And then other particles exist for a really long time. That's because their fields are so easy to activate. That's why there's matter. The fields for the building blocks of matter, the up and down quarks and electrons, don't take a lot of energy to activate. So they just exist for a hugely long time.
1: Long story short, if something exists in the universe, Probably has a particle associated with it, at least at its most fundamental level. Even light has that. You may have heard of a photon, it describes a particle of light.
0: So going back to what Flip tornado said. What type of particle is it? What are the characteristics of that particle? Uh, how heavy is it? How does it interact or not interact? While there are lots of ideas being investigated, many scientists think that dark matter might be a new type of particle.
1: The thing is, dark matter probably doesn't show up in the standard model, at least the way we have it right now. That's actually not so strange. The standard model doesn't explain everything in the universe. In fact, it's missing one of the major aspects of the universe that we very commonly recognize. That's the thing that keeps the Earth circling the sun. The thing that holds us to the surface of the Earth.
0: Gravity. And dark matter is certainly doing something with gravity.
2: We have... Very, very strong, uh, strong evidence from astrophysics and cosmology that there is dark matter. However, from particle point of view, or, or even more general, we think that dark matter is somehow is is comprised by particles. Mm-hmm. But these particles could have uh, any mass, so to say, they could be very, very light, 10 to the minus 21 uh, electron volt, which means, which means, uh, yeah, it's really very small mass, up to huge masses.
1: Andreas Ringwald is a theoretical physicist at DAISY. He's getting close to retirement. His office walls are strewn with pictures of sailboats he really loves to sail, and posters for conferences over the decades of his career. That career has been spent trying to tease out Candidates for dark matter through math. And he has one that he's convinced about. More on that later. For now, he's talking about how dark matter particles fit in with the astronomical observations we have. Those particles are all set up next to each other in a way that makes dense clumps of dark matter. At least, that's what the math suggests.
2: So the inference about that goes via the via the observation of the velocity, of the circular velocities of the stars in our Milky Way around the center of the galaxy, and uh, so we we observe that these velocities are proportional to the density of, of the matter inside the circles, and so the, these velocities they are much larger, so to say, than than. Uh, uh, then you would expect
0: there's that observation of galaxies spinning too fast again.
2: If the mass in a galaxy or the mass distribution would just follow the the distribution of the visible stars, and so from that one infers so to say, or one tries to infer the local. Uh, dark matter density. you get a fit so to say of the circular velocity uh, distribution in, in the galaxy. And, uh, and this gets more better and better and better but uh, so as, and, and as, as I said, from, from these kinds of fits you find something like like 0.4 GV per cubic centimeter. This is the, so to say, the the dark the the local dark matter density, which we expect to to have here around us. If we had the opportunity to be in, a, in another in other galaxies, maybe it could be <laughs> it could be higher, but we have to live with what we have here in, in our Milky Way.
1: The density of dark matter pulling, right? It seems to be pulling through its weight. In other words, its interaction with gravity. So it weighs
0: something, but we can't feel it. And this is where the weirdness of gravity really kicks in. Under the current theory of gravity that we have from Einstein and his theory of general relativity, gravity is the bending of a field that has space and time as constituents. So if something has enough weight, it literally bends the fabric of the universe. That's what dark matter does, or so the theory goes. That bending is what pushes and pulls the galaxies in ways that make them spin faster.
1: Yeah, I agree. This is really getting weird.
0: I think that it's time to roll out the standard model. model is like a blueprint for particle physics. The elementary particles are each sketched out and organized there. They're described in terms of their different features, their electrical charge, their mass, and their spin. But none of them describes anything like dark matter, and there's no gravity included in that. So
1: it's a blueprint for particle physics as we understand it, but not quite for the universe itself. We're not that far along in our understanding.
3: I'm Dr. Sally Shaw. I'm a lecturer in experimental particle physics at the University of Edinburgh, and I'm physics coordinator of the LZ Dark Matter Experiment. Amazing. Thank you
0: so much. So, Sally, Can you give us a sense of where dark matter would fit in to what we already know about particle physics?
3: Yeah, so I think the um, in terms of dark matter and fitting into what we know about particle physics, the fundamental bottom line is we actually don't know where it fits in. And that's part of the mystery.
0: Sally has a youthful tone and balances technical descriptions and playing language with ease. She's been deep into the experimental search for dark matter for the last decade.
3: The, the Standard Model of Particle Physics does a really, really good job of explaining almost all of the phenomena we observe in, in the universe today, especially with regards to the atoms that make up um, us and everything we know and stars and uh, the Earth, and all this. but when it comes to um, dark matter, which is a we we know through observations it has a gravitational influence. We know that through astrophysics. um we actually don't know a whole lot more about it. Now, we think it's a particle because everything else is a particle, so why why wouldn't it be? Uh, and there are um, but there are sort of big mysteries as to where exactly it would fit in with the rest of particle physics.
1: This mystery keeps hanging around.
0: I guess there's a reason why this is the coldest case. The standard model also describes the basic forces between particles.
3: We have uh, four fundamental forces that we understand, and one of them is called the, the weak interaction. And that is actually how we think we may be able to detect dark matter particles. So we know they don't interact through the electromagnetic force, and that's because we can't actually observe through light or photons, if we, we don't see any light given out by dark matter, that's what gives it its name. But if it interacts through the weak force that actually gives us a st- you know a chance of detecting it uh, through its interaction with our everyday standard model particles. So this is the sort of principle behind dark matter particle detectors is we're just looking for particles that um, can come in and bounce off a, a, an, an atom in our detector and leave some energy that we can see.
0: The weak interaction that Sally is talking about might give us a clue. Let's take the example of neutrinos. These are elementary particles, so some of the most basic constituents of our universe, but they pass right through almost everything. We call that weakly interacting.
1: That's one clue, but neutrinos are definitely not it. They're too light. And they just kind of zip around the universe. We're not even sure if they interact with gravity all that much. They're kind of the ghosts of the standard model. And so far as we can tell, the three neutrinos we know of just don't fit the bill.
0: But that doesn't mean dark matter can't be a physical lightweight.
1: Physicists have a name for this.
0: Slim particles.
2: Slim particles.
0: On the other hand, particles could be huge in terms of their mass. Physicists call that option a massive particle. massive particle.
1: That would make the light version of dark matter, the weakly interacting slim particles. Wisps, for short. Wisps.
0: And the heavy one would be, well, sorry, weakly interacting massive particles, y'all would be wimps. Wimps.
1: As an aside, these funny names are definitely one way that physicists insert jokes into their work. I mean, you have to liven up the day somehow, you know?
0: But none of these particles are in the standard model, at least not yet. There are ideas that involve these and other wave-like phenomenon, and scientists are working hard on designing experiments to detect these different candidates for what dark matter could be.
1: If dark matter doesn't interact with other fields except gravity, Then we could have particles that are flying through us all the time, never doing anything. Although they could be really heavy. Or really light. And this is what makes dark matter incredibly difficult to detect. We can take a cue, though, from the search for neutrinos. Underground we go.
0: So, I'm sitting down with Chris Jillings today. It is Friday, November 3rd. So, in our case, at Snow Lab, we go two kilometers underground. Why do we go... Why do we take that effort to go deep underground to conduct our
4: experiments? Yeah, so if you're on the surface of the Earth, going through your brain every second on the surface of the Earth is about 30 cosmic rays a second. Um, And those cosmic rays are fast muons, maybe fast neutrons, Um, it's a normal part of life on Earth. The origin of the cosmic rays is mostly the center of our galaxy. The very low energy ones from the sun give us beautiful effects like the northern lights, but in terms of the ones that could interfere with our experiments are mostly from our galaxy.
0: Chris Jillings is a senior research scientist at SNOLAB who's been involved in the search for dark matter for decades. He's an adjunct professor at Laurentian University, a dedicated student supervisor, an avid curler, and works on the Deep 3600 detector that's hosted here at Snow Lab. This is a dark matter detector that's filled with 3.6 tons of liquid argon, and the experiment's run by a global collaboration of scientists. As Chris notes, these detectors must be built deep underground to reduce noise from other known particles.
1: Like I said earlier about searching for neutrinos, one of the problems is that you also have all the other stuff flying around the universe that's much easier to detect. Cosmic rays, radio waves, gamma rays, free electrons. But you know what all that doesn't go through?
0: Rock. And lots of it. The two kilometers of rock that's overhead at Snow Lab reduces cosmic rays by a factor of 50 million.
1: That's pretty good. So what does one do with 3.6 tons of liquid argon deep underground?
4: Most of the work that we're doing is called uh, direct detection studies underground at Snow Lab. And what that means is we're looking for a uh, dark matter particle to come in, hit a nucleus, uh, in our case argon in other experiments, at snow lab, it might be silicon or germanium or fluorine. And then that molecule, having been bumped by the dark matter, does some sort of particular interaction, the detector picks up. So one analogy I like using since I'm a curler is just imagine somebody throwing an invisible curling stone. So there's a rock sitting in the house. That's the normal matter. And all of a sudden, you know, somebody throws a takeout at it with this invisible rock. um, And the rock in the house recoils in a particular way. And from that, you could work out that it got hit by an invisible curling rock. Okay. This is called direct detection. Um, And that is what we do... uh, at Snow Lab, there are other ways of doing uh, direct detection. If if it turns out dark matter is something like an axion, you're looking for it to uh, interact um, and create a photon, an electromagnetic wave, and they use very very precise and beautiful uh, resonators that 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 pick up and amplify a very particular signal, and they can scan through the frequencies and look for axions that way. So those are direct detection techniques.
1: That's a very Canadian analogy about how to detect dark matter, Blair.
0: Well, I can't argue with that, Joe, but it is a good description. If a dark matter particle knocks into the nucleus of an atom, of an experiment's target material, in this case, argon, then an experiment can pick that signal up and their teams can analyze it.
1: But we're just talking about the WIMPs, the massive particles, right?
0: That's right. This experiment was designed to detect WIMPs. They would have to have enough mass to be able to shove an atom around like that.
1: Uh, So what if dark matter is something lighter, like the wisps? There are several ways of doing that. Uh, So, Blair, I also spent a little time going underground, and uh, I got to talk to Christina Schrembauer, a PhD student at the Alps Experiment here at DAISY. That's a big collaboration, too, comprising institutes and universities from Germany, Denmark, and the U.S.
5: that I'm going to go right now? It's like seven floors down that we're going now and uh, first we have to go through this uh, door where we have to check in with our access cards not everyone has access here because actually when we go down like that there is different uh, laws just uh, uh, like mining laws basically uh, where we have to make sure we know who's down there and uh, that's what we're going to do now.
1: All right, sounds good. The ALPS II experiment—yeah, there already was an ALPS one. is looking for possible wisps by actually generating them. And there are some indications that, in the context of quantum field theory, wisps have a connection to photons, to light itself. That means they can potentially convert from one into the other.
0: So dark matter could become bright?
1: So to say, Alps is particularly interested in a particle called the axion, which was hypothesized in the 1970s. It was actually part of a completely different problem relating to curiosities about quarks, the constituent particles of protons and neutrons. Where did the idea, the initial idea of the axion come from? Like, who gave yeah. it this name and, and all of these So it
2: was. My former boss who, who, who brought me to, to Daisy, Roberto Pecce, he with a, a colleague, uh, Helen, Helen Quinn, they uh, proposed a solution to the so-called strong CP problem. So the, the strong CP problem was the is the question or is the puzzle why CP, the CP symmetry, or alternatively the time reversal symmetry. Is apparently so nicely conserved in, in strong interactions, although it could be—it's so small that that it requires somehow an explanation, yeah, because uh, it's, it's an un- unnaturally small parameter, so to say. And they proposed a solution to this problem by introducing a new a new symmetry, which we call now peccei symmetry. So this this was a nice pro- proposal, however. Then two later Nobel Prize winners, namely Steven Weinberg and Frank Wilczek, they realized independently: of this this uh, wind symmetry has to be broken in the in in, uh, in nature, so to say. And by the breaking of this symmetry, there arises a so-called Goldstone boson, uh, the, a, a particle which is very light, and. Uh, Frank Wilczek he proposes to call it axion because it solves the problem associated with a with an axial symmetry in QCD and axion was or is still a cleaning detergent uh, which you can buy here I have <laughs> I, I, I have it so an example so I, and you can even open it and smell it. <laughs> So this yeah. is this is the axio. This is the axion <laughs> dark matter. <laughs> <laughs> Smell the dark matter.
1: Yeah. And uh, so, so, this this. so Andreas Ringwald proposed the Alps experiment through his own work on axions. In fact, he and a few colleagues wrote it up on his sailboat while it was hidden between some islands on the Elbe River close to Hamburg. Christina Schrembauer describes what it looks like there underground.
5: Uh, Yeah, the ALPS II experiment is actually uh, situated in part of the tunnel um, and of the Hera North Hall, so approximately 1.5 kilometers uh, north of here. And it consists of a string of old magnets from the Hera experiment, actually, that were just brutally straightened. Uh, to come together as a straight experiment that is about 200 meters long and it consists of a string of magnet on the left and right side of uh, a very complicated optical setup with also optical setups on each end where we send lasers through these magnets and try to create and then detect dark matter.
1: ALPS, that's short for Any Light Particle Search, belongs to a class of dark matter experiments called Shining Light Through a Wall Experiments. That's because that's exactly what they do. If they see light on the other side of the partition that Christina's talking about, then that's a signal that could be an axion or some other type of wisp. But are wisps and wimps all that could be in our dark matter lineup?
0: No, wisps and wimps are just two potential particle explanations for dark matter. So in the last two episodes, we've covered a bit of history, some theory, and touched on some experiments. Next time on Particle Mysteries, The Coldest Case... We will give a rundown of the suspects in the Dark Matter candidate lineup and hear from more people working on the experimental side of this long standing mystery.
1: And we've got some interesting characters to introduce you to both particles and people.
3: Written and hosted by Joseph Piergrossi and Blair Flynn. Produced and edited by Andrea Munday. With original music by Sebastian Shishka and research assistance by Steve Sekula. For more information and full credits, please visit darkmatterday.org.